Green Street Joinery and the American Craftsman Podcast are proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist in Montana, USA. With numerous patents dating back to the invention of the Hexshank system by our founders, we strive to produce accessories that add precision, flexibility, and efficiency to your toolkit. In addition to woodworking tools, we produce many high-quality cutting tools that are used by the aerospace, medical, automotive, and industrial markets. Our end product has a fit and finish that is beyond comparison. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. For 10% off your order, visit MontanaBrandTools.com and use the coupon code American Craftsman. Season 2, Episode 11. 11. The Origins of Pennsylvania Dutch Furniture. Get my little thing open back up here. There we go. We're locked and loaded. Oh, yeah. Don't forget, Secret Santa 2021. Uh, I just extended the signups until, was it December 10th? And I changed the, the date from Christmas day to New Year's day because really it don't matter. Nah. I figured I'd draw it out a week. Uh, it's the holiday. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. 12, 11, you got till the 11th of December to sign up. So this will be coming out, I don't know, something around that time. This yeah. will be coming out on the 3rd. So you have a week after that. So sign up. Get involved. All right. So here we go. I'm going to start getting into the furniture that the, primarily the Amish. I mean, we call them Pennsylvania Dutch. Um, that's sort of this overarching term, all the people that came from the Rhine River Valley. Yep. Um, but the Amish kind of became the the predominant furniture makers as far as we can see today. Like, we, we refer to them as the Amish today, don't we? Yeah, and I think um, they're probably getting all lumped together. Yeah, yeah. At some point. Uh, Mennonites and the Quakers. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't even think of Quakers anymore, but like I said in the last episode, when I take Mennonites, I I thought that they were Amish anyway. Yeah, well, they're definitely linked. I mean, yeah. uh, the Amish sprung from the Mennonites. Uh, Simon Menno. Mennonite. <laughs> uh, so not long after arriving in America, the Amish began establishing... Their quintessential self-sufficient way of life through farming and woodworking. Mm. But it's natural that they become furniture makers. I mean, they're all carpenters and farmers. Right. Um, the principles of simplicity extended to all aspects of Amish life, and these pursuits were no different. Uh, I couldn't find any written um, information as to the the reasons why, but the Amish shunned the use of mechanical tools for the most part and were opting to work by hand. And this is, you know, back in the day. Of course, nowadays they got their mini factories. Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess I would, you know, what would have been cool was to be able to go out there and, and sort of like interview uh, some. Some Amishes. Yeah. 
because, uh, you know, we're just taking this. I mean, a lot of it was written by um, uh, people who were related to or whether that in uh, by blood or by geography, the Amish, at least the articles outside of like the, um, you know, the scholarly writings. But it it would have been interesting to say, why don't you, you know, why do you guys opt to use hand tools instead of? Those are the devil's tools. Probably. I mean, there's, there's probably quite a bit of truth in that. Um. So the we got time. We can go out there. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping to take a trip out to Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's true. Pick up that anvil. Next, yeah. <laughs> um, th- their insistence on constructing my hand would later serve to propel the popularity of Amish made furniture as a society, our society, mainstream society, experienced several different phases of backlash to ornate complex furnishings Punctuated, of course, by the arts and crafts Mm -hmm. of the 1920s and another in the late 20th century, which Hmm. is probably mid-century modern. So um, it's funny how, you know, in this 12 periods of furniture, like they refer to the Pennsylvania Dutch as a period and the dates being. But really, the popularity of the furniture wasn't seen until later because. Right. um, It didn't leave the community at that point time in the 18 in the 17 1800s it was it was localized there and then like you're saying it wasn't until the 19 you know the 19 teens that it started to to get out there into the public uh canon yeah i mean it's it's sort of like going back and forth over this 200 year span almost Mm -hmm. and i kept getting confused as i was you know, trying to compile this information, what's actually happening now, right. what happened then, because so many of their habits and ways are, you know, the same. The same. It, and so it was really, uh, it was pretty interesting. So the Amish, they also felt really and feel really strongly about cultivating a sense of community and engaging the youth uh, in manual labor. Mm. Um, so Good for the soul. Yeah, exactly. They they send the kids to school usually not all Amish, but many only till the eighth grade. And they think that's enough, and then it's time to get into the wood shop and farm full time. Well, uh, they can contribute to the family's income at that point in time, mm-hmm. uh, and and learn the ways. So the it it sort of promotes their and stabilizes their way of life. That's that's the whole thing. Yeah, there's a lot of Amish sawyers too. Yeah. So they're cutting the wood and and working the wood. Uh, the techniques utilized by the Amish, and we spoke of this last week, or really just a couple hours ago, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have become staples of quality in furniture making and uh, the buy it for life movement. It's uh-huh. it's these traditional values that they espouse that you know we do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see sort of all of these um, periods. Everything was being built that way, and mm-hmm. you know we'll see as we get into these later ones. Maybe there's a turning point where the engineered obsolescence or just the throwaway sort of 
culture comes in. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have, you know, uh, an episode as we get into the arts and crafts movement because that was basically the, mm-hmm. you know, the rebuttal to manufacturing. Yeah, when the Industrial Revolution hits and, you know, cheap manufacturing becomes a thing. Yeah, so... Um, and all these techniques, as we know, they take time to master. Mm-hmm. And you may never master them, but you, you continually grow and improve. Imagine if we had been taught from the time we were in eighth and ninth grade how to do what we're doing now. Yeah. Uh, how much further along we'd be. We're kind of, you know, learning from... Uh, a little bit from others, a little bit from YouTube videos, a lot of from trial and error. Yeah, I mean, I didn't build a cabinet until, and this is like a site-built cabinet, probably until 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I built my first kitchen in the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As an experiment. Yeah. Just to see if I could possibly do it. You know, and I mean, it's knock on wood, it's still standing, but it's no marvel. <laughs> it's nice, though. Um, I, it, it's funny because, you know, I basically did it by reading books and whatever influenced me the most at the moment mm-hmm. is in my kitchen. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's definitely of its time and place. But I, I, it would have been cool to have that sort of education. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're learning to cut dovetails and mortise and tenons and all this other stuff uh, from the time they can uh, probably hold a saw and, yeah. you know, cut to a line. Um, the, the conservative nature also of the Pennsylvania Dutch life, it, it tends to preserve the old world tastes and traditions. So the styles they develop in the 1700s, they don't really vary too much. You know, they, they keep bringing that same stuff forward. Yeah, I mean, the Amish are pretty unchanged. Mm-hmm. And just because there's some kind of new fad or new style in the big city like Philadelphia, they don't jump on that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they pretty much stick to their guns. I guess you can't use that phrase for the Amish because they're pacifists. They definitely have guns, though. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I I wrote this down. Unlike those pieces made in urban areas, Pennsylvania rural furniture displayed sturdy skills of the joiner and turner. Um, I guess we're... I guess I wrote that down because we're starting to see there is this divergence that you kind of alluded to. Yeah, we saw in the Queen Anne some of the stuff that was coming out of Pennsylvania, and you know it was it was like high end furniture, mm-hmm. um, all those chairs and stuff. Yeah, um, so. Pennsylvania Dutch furniture it develops early and stays the course. Doesn't really get out of the community for almost 200 years. Well, 
Um, and it's pretty utilitarian. Uh, I did note that, and I, I mentioned this last time, it was a custom to have a handsome piece of furniture made for a special occasion, hmm. such as a wedding anniversary. But you'd have to be kind of prosperous um, to, to do something like that for your wife or uh, your daughter, generally. Uh, they, they didn't adopt quickly any of the new fat fads or fashions and they, they, you know, they stood with the, their old designs. Uh, so Amish furniture styles. Let's see what I got here. Oh, we're going to talk about the, the soap hollow school. Mm-hmm. And the Jonestown, or I've seen it, Johnstown as well. Hmm. Jonestown. Yeah, Jonestown made me think Don't of... Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah, that. And Johnstown, we know Johnstown, Pennsylvania, the Johnstown flood, so... No, you, I don't you, know about that. Oh, you don't know about that? No. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm not privy to the Johnstown flood. Oh, Okay. It, um, I used to think it was like folktale, but apparently it was some real incident in history. You want to tell the people about it? Uh, well, I don't really know that much about it. But, it, <laughs> but what was it? it? It was a natural occurrence of uh, flood, okay. like a devastating flood in Johnstown, PA. Um, and it's referenced in like song and things uh, like that. Okay. So that's that's how I learned of it. All right. Um, this is a little bit of a recap here. I, because Amish beliefs prevent the use of electricity, many woodworking tools in Amish shops are powered by hydraulic and pneumatic power run on diesel compressors. That's more or less, uh, that's that's modern day. So I don't know how that got in there. That's an Amish, we call it an Amish workaround. Yeah. Most communities, they permit some technology and allowances can be made in the case of woodworking as the craft often supports multiple families within the community. Mm. So there you go. That's the Amish workaround. They're like, well, you know, if, uh, you're doing it to support your family. Yeah. Little yeah. devil, they ain't going to hurt you. Um, Amish woodworkers pride themselves in their work and view their products as both pieces of art and furnishings to be used and lived in for generations. Hmm. We know that. Um, all right. Folk art. I wanted to touch on exactly, uh, maybe not exactly, but a little bit what folk art is. Art done by folks. Yeah. Well, um, what is folk art? Handmade, unique, one of a kind. Definitely not mass produced. Some you find on Etsy. <laughs> well, um, I mean, up to up to this point, uh, that's true. Uh, folk art, it, the community has something, usually a great deal, to say about what passes for acceptable folk art. Mm. Um, and it's recognizable within the framework of the community. Here's something that's interesting, too. Um, the artists don't necessarily re recognize themselves as an artist. It's just like some crazy person who just they're slapped just, a bunch of stuff together. Well, it's it, this is another thing. Uh, and again, I'm not 
saying that this is the be-all, end-all definition of folk art, but the art should have been originally utilitarian, <clears throat> created to serve a function. Yeah. Um, not like, you know, uh, let's say the like a statue or something like a lawn art, but, you know, some of those things were like windmills and... And, and things like that when mm -hmm. you think about that sort of yard ornament. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, as a way of showing thanks for arriving safely on new shores, the Amish and Mennonites began decorating. Uh, they did hand-carved furniture, even tombstones. Um, that's sort of the the basis for those stars that they have on their barns that which we call hex signs. Uh, um, that's what a hex sign is. Yeah, yeah. Uh they have here they even put designs and religious symbolism into their waffle irons. I didn't know that the Pennsylvania Dutch were known for their waffles. No, they're big wafflers. We'll learn about that later. Are they Dutch waffles? <laughs> Not Belgian? The hex sign. Stroop waffle? <laughs> Yeah, that's why you brought that up. Yeah, the hex sign. Note the term hex sign was not used until the 20th century. Hmm. Um, now, if we look at it, it's it's got a lot of, I picked that one because it's got a lot of the real classic images of the, the little birds, the yep. hearts. Tulips are another one that's really big. Tulips were huge uh, in early America. Mm-hmm. Um, the... The uh, the name hex it doesn't really go with that, does it? Yeah, it's like you're gonna get like a curse put on you. Right. It's a it's a really <clears throat> pleasant, uh, pretty kind of design. Yeah, this is what you think of when you think of vomit, like Pennsylvania mm -hmm. Dutch. At least for me. Yeah, and uh, apparently this is something that the the Swedish and the German settlers brought with them. Hmm. Uh, that these uh, designs to commemorate special life events. And they enjoyed all the, you know, decorating everything. And, and this is what comes to be um, an essential part of the design work on, on the Amish, Pennsylvania, Dutch furniture. We are familiar with it to a certain degree, but for folks that aren't, um, that's one of the cornerstones. Yeah, like imagine a brand of, like, there's that birch beer. I don't know mm. what the brand, you know what I'm talking yeah. about, with the red label. Like, you could see this, they, and they have something like this on there. Um, you know, they look to nature mm -hmm. uh, for the design influences, hence the, you know, the birds, the flowers, things like that. They would put designs like this on their... Um, Birth certificates, marriage certificates, well, plates, utensils, and um, for being a, uh, you know, plain Jane, they're they're <laughs> yes. getting awfully decorated, right? And who who else did we talk about? It's been a, like a month now, but weren't we talking about um, the Puritans in the same way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, everybody can kind of get pigeonholed. Yeah. It's easy for outsiders like ourselves to to categorize folks. Um, so they, they put these things on everything. And, and of course, the furniture. 
Yeah, they painted these designs on doors, walls in their home. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as uh, the hex signs on the barn, they used to just paint them right on the sides of the barn. Uh, and then uh, gradually they started painting them onto the wooden discs and mounting them. Hmm. Um, they're, they're big, uh, um, what's the word, when you go and you get something on a trip and bring it home. Souvenir? Yeah, they're big souvenir items for mm-hmm. people. Just get one for the side of the shop. Yeah, traveling out there. That's That would be fun, yeah. Built by the Amish. Yeah. Um, so Those the Amish's six- had machines. Yeah. <laughs> the workaround They were Amish. posing as Amish. Yeah. Well, the Amish built the shop, you know. That's what I'm saying. They had yeah. machines, didn't yeah. they? That's funny. I I forgot all about that. Yeah, you should have told them, told them to bring a hex sign. Yeah. Um, so they started, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if I have it in here. I can't remember because, you know, I wrote this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'll see. The six-pointed star um, is a big thing with hmm. these hex signs. Is that a pentagram? Yeah, it is. Or no, that'd be a hexagram. Oh, well. And- pentagram would be five. We're we're thinking that maybe since the German word for six is sex, S-E-C-H-S, the hex sign could also come from that. Hmm. Uh, again, like Pennsylvania Dutch, Deutsch, hex, sex. And the, <laughs> this was a good one that I saw this a couple of times. Uh, the German word... That means, or words that mean witch's foot, is hexafoo. What the hell's <laughs> witch's foot have to do with that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I saw it a couple of times. You know, the other thing that I that's found. like one person said that once, and now it's just on every website. About yeah, that's, that's one danger of, like, doing research on the Internet, is that I found so many reprinted. Mm-hmm. Um, passages. Yeah. And I found the same thing when I was doing the Nicholas Disborough stuff. Mm-hmm. It was like every website that mentioned him had verbatim the same. Right. They just cut and paste and they weren't given credit. They weren't footnotes or anything like that. Um, so the combination of folk magic and symbolism has a strong influence on hex signs, circles, stars, geometric designs, and they symbolize divinity and the circle of life. Mm. And we're talking about the hex signs because these are going to be things that are incorporated into the design on furniture. Yep. Yeah, I um, think of like a blanket chest with, mm-hmm. the, you know, the heart cut into the thing with the... Yeah, uh, and of course, the more conservative groups... Uh, the Mennonites and among the Mennonites and uh, Amish, they reject the hex sign. Party poopers. Pagan superstition and all that stuff. Who do pagans ever bother? Everybody hates the pagans. <laughs> That's a good question. Who's hating on the pagans? I don't even know anything about the pagans. Did, did you know there's a welcome hex sign? Makes sense. Yeah, it's a large red heart. In the center with tulips encircling the heart. Hmm. So how could that, you know, like, how could that be a bad thing? It's a devil sign. The tree of life hex sign, you know, which is part of our logo. Again, another Amish link. Hmm. 
Um, includes a large tree as the focal point of the sign. Uh, and again, I talked about it. Stars, hearts, tulips. They're they're almost always. It's like the lucky charm. Star, yeah. Hearts, horseshoes, and red balloons. Uh, Speaking they, of which, I got some lucky charms upstairs. Mm, lucky charms. Uh, a little bit more on hex signs. Uh, some of them use them for healing. Oh, we're getting into some witchcraft here. To bring abundance and material goods. This doesn't sound like Amish. Yeah, some farmers believe hex signs could start or stop the rain. <laughs> uh, and they thought it would protect their barn from lightning. <laughs> <laughs> so that's enough on the on the Amish hex sign. Interesting. Um, it, I guess if you know you're listening somewhere and you you're you don't see the, um, you know you're not watching, so you can't click on the link or see what we're uh, showing. Oh, continuing to use the word hex sign is probably misleading. You're probably yeah. thinking of like something. The Scary pentagram, looking, yeah. you know, like the the, you know, the stuff you with see a, in a with a goat's head in it, right? No, the, this is like a. I don't even know what to. I mean, the one kind of looked like the little Woodstock bird. Yeah, yeah, like a dove. Yeah, yeah, a dove's a big one, but they're they're generally circles. I mean, sometimes stars, geometric shapes, but bright colors, flowers, mm -hmm. birds. Hearts. Once, once you see it, if you just look it up, you'll know exactly, and you've yeah. seen it all over. Yeah. Um. So, let's get into the furniture a little bit more. Style versus utility is the heading I have. Um. When we start to look at the Pennsylvania Dutch furniture, there's there's one thing we keep in mind, and that it's colonial furniture. Um, made by people who <laughs> moved thousands of miles. And we're living in a very rural and, uh, you know, and in remote communities for mm -hmm. the most part. Um, so we've been talking about trends, especially with the last episode, uh, last set of episodes. But uh, for, the, for the Amish, it was really about, you know, what's going to do the job, what materials are available, and... How am I feeling this day? What's my what are my individual tastes as a maker? They were dancing to the beat of their own drum, those Amish. They were. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when you made Hunter's bed, mm -hmm. we had that cherry available. So, all right, there's you go. I made it. No, I made it out of maple. <laughs> That's that bed's not cherry? No, it's maple. Are you sure? I'm positive. Because we had all that maple. We still have all that maple. I could have sworn we made it from cherry. No, the, well, the, his other, the bed across the street's made out of cherry that you and Deadwood built. Uh, trying to remember. You know, that's like more of like an arts and crafts style bed, like a mission style bed. Okay, the one with the dowels, that's maple? Yeah. I'm going to have to go upstairs and look yeah, at it. It's solid maple. I know. So, but points the same. Yeah. We had the we had the maple, so that was your material choice. Mm -hmm. And you went with it, you we know. got a lot of these number zero biscuits. Got to get rid of them. 
Well, no, we didn't. There are no biscuits in that bed. Oh, I just got an email from Elizabeth Lewis. Meeting this afternoon. Hi there. Unhappy with expensive business phone service that sluggish goes down, or just overall meh? Would you like to in, would like to introduce my company, Function Telecom? We're cutting. Is it Function with a K? No. Oh, my God. The spam never stops. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay. You know, this that's the modern age, isn't it? We're all tethered. Yeah. Um, I thought it was something important. I'm like, meeting? I'm like, I didn't know we had a meeting. Yeah, but you got to make that bed. Basically, it was utilitarian in nature. Um, but you did it the way you wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, so it's got your your stamp on it. Your your fingerprints are on it. Mm -hmm. We had those dowels. Yeah. <laughs> it was like making dinner with what was in the fridge. Yeah. I have a bunch of footage of making that bed. I got to do something with it. But yeah, yeah. That's a that's another story for another day. But th there you go. That kind of sums up how these folks were working. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's funny how a style then develops, I guess, because the community is so tight that, you know, these things sort of, um, you know, people can't step too far outside bounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a limited circle of influence. Mm -hmm. There you go. Um, true Pennsylvania Dutch furniture was produced from 1720 to 1830, um, and basically by German furniture makers. Mm. They brought their German woodworking techniques with them, but they started to also incorporate techniques and styles they found in the nearby English colonies, English settlements. Mm -hmm. and, and I also learned that they refer to basically all outsiders as English. Yeah. Just like they were getting called Dutch. Right. They weren't right. even Dutch. The English. Uh, and I they think, were Deutsch. I think to some extent they still do. Yeah, yeah I have heard that. Um, you ever watch that show, like, what is it, Amish Mafia right? or something? Oh, no. is, that, is that what they call it? <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. I'm pretty I, sure that show's all fake. No, you know what? I did, in my reading, I did come across uh, articles about those shows and breaking Amish and all that stuff that I did read. And for the most part, it's the equivalent of like Jersey Shore. Yeah. Where it's, yes, there's truth in it and those things do happen, but it's, they're exaggerated examples. Yeah, it's made for TV drama. Right, right. Uh, like when they came to you and the place where you were working and, uh, when what was it the bar rescue or whatever yeah and they wanted to manufacture they're like so who here really bothers you i'm like not really anybody <laughs> so right it's all, all manufactured they're like oh yeah no we're not helping you guys all right so uh, the the pennsylvania dutch furniture as it's developing it it's got its roots in those german traditions and mm -hmm. uh, but it's heavily influenced by their circumstances and their new life. And it goes back to um, basically starting over. These are folks that came from 
of more industrial, uh, using that term loosely, uh, living conditions in Europe, basically go out to the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah. I mean, you think it's Pennsylvania now. Yeah. It was it was literally just trees and and ground. Yeah. So there's that. There's their um, you know, really diving into their lifestyle. This is a whole new community based around their religious beliefs. Uh and this all leads to the development of what we're gonna call style in in air quotes. <laughs> or lack thereof. <laughs> right. So we got a, a photo of a Pennsylvania Dutch chest there. There it is. There it is. That's um that's the quintessential example, isn't it? Yeah. Um it's a simple chest on bracketed feet. And it's painted. Yeah, with the little, uh, those unicorns? I don't know. Is there a horn on the top of that thing? It certainly looks like it. Yeah. Doesn't a unicorn have wings? Or it does. Not, or is that a Pegasus? Oh, that's a Pegasus, yeah. but Does I, a you Pegasus know what? have it, a horn? Uh, no. A Pegasus has wings and no horn. What's it if it's got wings and a horn? That I don't know. I mean, I don't, a unicorn, I think, just has a horn. Hmm. That's far less interesting than uh, than wings and a horn. Yeah, it's just a horse with a horn. That could just happen. I wouldn't even that be might all that happen. I wouldn't even be all that surprised. Yeah, if he grew up next to the uh, power plant. Yeah. So how can we characterize Pennsylvania Dutch furniture? Straightforward and direct. Yeah. Um. Nothing really elaborate, but, you know. The painting is pretty uh, ornate. It is. It is. But if you compare it to, you know, artwork that's already been done, it, it's. Oh, it's, yeah. It's almost childlike. Yeah. And it's, it's very uh, naivete. Yeah. Um, straight lines, right? In the, yeah, in the construction. Yeah, yeah. Aside from the little bracket feet. Right, right. Very little bits of ornamentation outside the painting, which is kind of what they are bringing to the table here. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very distinctively painted. Uh, and and to, you think about it, to paint that versus, like, let's say that was all carved, mm -hmm. you're talking a fraction of the time. <laughs> That's a right. Fraction. That's right. And if we think back to that original... Um, German example, the German chest, and compare it to this. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen on, like, how it's made, like, things that are hand-painted, like, I don't know, sometimes you see, like, a plates or mm -hmm. stuff like in, like, Eastern Europe, they'll bang something like this out in, like, five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the motifs are pretty repetitious. So when they did the next chest, it was similar stuff. So you're constantly maybe not repeating the exact design, but you know you you're using the same uh, vocabulary. Yeah. I gotta say it's cold down here. It's getting chilly, huh? Yeah. I'm gonna speak to the landlord. Yeah. What the hell? You know what it is? I closed up all the vents down here. Oh, because it was yeah. It was too cold in the summertime. <clears throat> um, I put in italics. Perhaps the most definitive characteristic 
of Pennsylvania Dutch furniture was the way it was decorated. Yeah. Um, I can agree with that. I mean, I, I yeah, I mean that could be any old chest, right? If it that could be a flea market find, and you could sort of uh, it's a real, you know, it's a real show. <laughs> no flea market flip, it's called. Oh, okay. You ever heard of that? N- no. Yeah, they gotta go find something, and then they have to like fix it up or you know change it. Oh and yeah, then sell it's a it contest, uh, yeah, obviously. Two yeah, two different groups. Um, yeah, so it's how it's decorated. While the other furniture in the co- other colonies were making furniture was polished, varnished, mm-hmm. finished with veneers and stuff like that. Um, you could see this is probably maple or pine, pine, birch painted with, uh, you know, a green, red, and then some kind of uh, design on top. Is that the same lady looking for you now? That's New York, New York. They're calling in from the big city. Want to check your car warranty? Yeah. Probably that guy that called me that one time was like, yeah, I'm looking for a table. <laughs> and he's, you know, head of like whatever company, New York, New York. And then he's like, my budget's like $2,200. Yeah, I'm in, yeah, I'm in a Fortune 500 company. Go over wanna... to Bob's Furniture. Maybe it was Elizabeth Lewis calling about the meeting that we have for, oh. tele- for telecommunications. All right, so we touched a little bit about um, style, um, but another part of the Amish ethos, I will call it, is sustainability. Hmm, interesting. That's part of ours as well. Yeah. Building furniture with longevity, multi-generational pieces. The furniture needs to be useful. You're not going to just make something that's a, a design piece, a, a decorative piece, uh, and not have a, a, a function. Mm-hmm. That'd be frivolous and um, could not be considered sustainable by the Amish. Hey, 718, that's Brooklyn, isn't it? It is. Brooklyn and Queens. Yeah. So how would you compare? I would Because I say it's interesting to compare this Amish point of view to our now modern mainstream society's, uh, I'm going to say, disposable nature. Um, I mean, we struggle against that ourselves. Yeah. Um, It's definitely not the, I mean, you're seeing certain groups of people going back towards that sort of thinking, um, but it's definitely an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. This whole sort of craft movement has been going on probably since I don't know what do you think it started in like the it probably started in like the 70s or 80s yeah but it's really just ramping up you know now and getting more popular since like the mid 2000s maybe yeah <clears throat> the thing that I see as kind of the particular battle we're engaged in is that we make Kind of, without sounding high flu, we kind of make high-endy furniture. You know, it it costs a lot to produce these things. Yeah. So the people that generally can afford it are the same people that want to throw it away in five years because they want something new. Yeah. 
Yeah. The high end is the symptom, though, and not the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's that the 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 folks who could most utilize and value the work that we do, they haven't been able to wrap their mind around the idea of of buying expensive furniture because it's it's not been a part of our lifestyle. Yeah. You know, we all grew up in the disposable furniture age. And so we have these fixed ideas over what a piece of furniture like a desk should cost. Yeah, and and other things have taken, you know, precedence over. Right. You know, the cost of living is so much higher now mm-hmm. than it was. So there is less there's less money to spend on furniture. Right. You know, back in the day you weren't paying whatever thousand dollars a month per person for health insurance. No. So it, and it the, wasn't the cost of housing was more in line with income. Yeah. <clears throat> but the same people will, you know, a, a woman might have a thousand dollar purse or, yeah. you know, several pairs of $800 shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are people, I always say people have money. It's just, they, they have to decide what they want to spend it on. Yeah. You want, you want, uh, 10 pairs of shoes or you want a coffee table? (laughs) (laughs) You're going to have to sell it better than that. Well, that's the reality of it, unfortunately. It is. It is. Um, You want to, you know, pay for half of your new car or you want that built-in over there? Right. Um, Because that's 20 grand. But we pitch sustainability as part of our thing, too. I mean, we, we didn't do it this year. We should probably... Um, I'd like to maybe do it again in 2022, but we planted uh, over 100 trees or through the Arbor Day Foundation yeah. the year before, mm-hmm. uh, which is a nice thing. Yeah. You know, we take a, a portion of each job and donate to the Arbor Day to plant trees, mm-hmm. uh, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Now we're supporting Popcorn Park Zoo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the those monkeys. monkeys are going to be swinging on those ropes. That's right. <laughs> I can't wait to get some pictures of that. Yeah. <laughs> you got to tell them, put them up now. I want to see the monkeys on them right wanna, now. Put them up now. I want to tag Arvo. <laughs> Can we do that? <laughs> that guy up there did look kind of like a little. Uh, he looked like a little chimp, didn't yeah. he? <laughs> Not as not as cute though. No, definitely not. <laughs> All right, so um, with this idea in mind of you know sustainability and usefulness, it's going to uh, kind of set some boundaries for what types of furniture the Amish are going to be making. Mm-hmm. Um, remember when we talked in the past, some of the other groups like about an important piece and. Can't be left alone. The trestle table was a biggie, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, it turns out that the Pennsylvania Dutch have the sawbuck table. Mm, I think I know what this is going to look like. Yeah. Yep. There you go. And you can see the relationship. You know, the top probably comes off, and and it's... An oversized table that could hold a large family, plenty of heavy German food. Yeah. 
<laughs> and rather than resting on individual legs, the sawbuck tabletop sat on two X-shaped supports, giving the large table greater stability. Mm-hmm. Um, it it looks l- almost like a picnic table, we might call it. Yeah. You know, a little bit nicer top, but it's the X brackets. And that's the cornerstone of their, you know, kitchen. They probably worked on it, yeah. ate on it, had their meetings around it. Um, the sawbuck table. So that was something I learned. I didn't necessarily relate that directly to um, the Amish. Yeah, me neither. And I, I, you know, seen that design, but never known it as a sawbuck table. Mm-hmm. And, and you could see it's there's not a wasted motion or wasted piece it's just it's all there yeah it's <clears throat> as utilitarian as it gets yeah yeah um the next thing that was pretty important was the hope chest yeah we all know the hope chest at least <laughs> at least i know it um so yeah we're getting back to chests which um in all of the early forms yeah that was another good example yeah that's not the hope chest i know but Man, what a grainy picture! Yeah, I mean, I couldn't. I sometimes I couldn't find like a good image of mm-hmm. a good yeah um, example. Now, the thing that struck me about this is the primitiveness of the the painting. I mean, it really is a notch or two down from the last. Uh, example we were looking at. I was just get a voicemail. Hey, I uh, sent a thing for your website. I didn't get a response. I responded to your email. Yeah, this to me, it almost looks Greek. Yeah, yeah. One of those may, maybe urns. These things down oh, here. yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. What's the next one look like? Wow, so we're seeing some blacks. Yeah. And those are camels. Johan Miller. Yeah, so he definitely came, and we'll get into this later on, from the Soap Hollow School mm-hmm. of Furniture Making. And the reason I know that now is because he put his name on it. That's something that they did. Only the folks from the Soap Hollow School. Hmm. This was another thing when we when we uh, get on the episode of well known <laughs> furniture makers, <laughs> they they worked in anonymity. You know, <laughs> it's like trying to find anybody that could would take credit for any of those things. Ah, <clears throat> oh, the spice can. Well, we're still with the hope chest. Um, so the I've got here. A Pennsylvania Dutch home was not complete without a brightly colored hope chest. Hmm. They put their fine linens, if they had any, and it was usually for the dowry of a young woman. Right. Um, Pennsylvania German furniture makers made a trademark out of their handmaided, 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 hand-painted hope or dowry chest. So that was their thing, you know. It, you could, 
it, you'd make it so you could be identified by your particular style and your take on it. Um, hope chests were customarily painted blue. Um, although the two examples we have there, they seem to be uh, darker than that. Maybe they've darkened with age. And here's something to reinforce what you thought earlier. Uh, and painted with a variety of decorative accents such as vases of flowers, tulips, stars, birds, angels, and unicorns. <laughs> Who knew? I had no idea. Is the unicorn like a German? I don't know. That's that's pretty interesting, though. Um, and that really nice piece... The, the spice cabinet where you could see it's like, um, you know, got a clear finish on the wood and everything. That was really uh, for the for the upper crust. Mm -hmm. if there, if there was. <laughs> the 18th century spice cabinet is the ultimate form of Pennsylvania furniture. The concept originally from Holland came to America via England. Only the most prosperous, prosperous families could afford these miniature case pieces, which house expensive spices for medicine and cooking, as well as small valuables. I was going to say, just having spices was... Right. I mean, look that. at that. Yeah, that's some serious veneer work. Yeah, it, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and... People didn't place their spice cabinets in their kitchens as they do today, but rather in their parlors where they'd harmonize with the other furnishings. Mm. Uh, many'd have a series of small drawers hidden behind a door and a secret drawer behind them or a drawer hidden beneath the molding. So we've come across stuff like that in, from other builders. Yep. The secret drawer. What about the deacon's bench? Ah, there we go. That's that's got some Pennsylvania Dutch. Yeah, that's it. screaming it, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, although of a more modern era, the deacon's bench is a good example of Amish design and practice. Very practical and straightforward. Mm -hmm. Straight back and seat, dovetail joinery in lieu of mechanical fasteners, and very simple curves for embellishment. There you go. That's. That screams, you know, very simple, plain Amish, as Absolutely. they're called. Yeah. That's what it was. It's plain Amish and fancy Amish. Uh, uh, refers to the, the people as far as, you know, more lenient or strict. Right. Do I have a picture of the dough box? There you go. Look at that. The dough box. The primary function of the dough box was to serve as a trough to store rising bread dough. A proofing, um, a proofing box. That's right. Made primarily in Pennsylvania from 1700 to 1840, it had a single or multiple board top with cleats at each end that often slid into dovetail slots. And the top was used as a work surface to knead the dough. And then, of course, you'd proof the dough below. Well, So it looks like, you know, that's definitely a kitchen item. Oh, yeah. Um, this is looking pretty Amish too. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, you know, the single board tops on these old pieces. Yeah. This <laughs> looks like there's a glue, yeah, glue it, one glue joint. Right. Right there. Mm-hmm. 
even so big big wide boards this front looks like one piece though yeah maybe a yeah. glue joint right there that's a nice looking piece i mean you could put something like that in your house today and it wouldn't really look out of place no this is like some you know you see at an antique yeah antique store and you know they painted and decorated them at times but probably the ones that you know needed to get right into service mm -hmm. nothing just straight pine that's right straight pine no finish no, no chaser <laughs> straight no chaser uh, the last picture I have is uh, of the, the Pennsylvania-style chest cupboard. That's, a, that's pretty fancy. It is. It is. And that, you could see, is Love somewhat... Love spring angle on this Yeah, crowd. related to that first um, German case. Right? Are those inlays there on the doors, or are those carvings? Hard to tell. Looks like marquetry almost. Or, uh, no, it might be paint. Yeah. These are carvings, these little corner pieces. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, but all in all, it's a storage unit. And it was known as a Kaz, K-A-S, hmm. from the German Kasten, meaning cupboard or, sh or shrunk, as it was known in German. <laughs> shrunk. So it's a large wardrobe, had an upper section, might have shelves. Over one and two or three drawers. Yeah. Um, it wasn't unusual for a piece like this to be seven or eight feet tall and oh. seven and a half feet wide. Jeez. 25 to 30 inches deep. Like raising a barn. Really? Ooh, so this thing. really is, uh, a, a you know, a clothes closet. It is a shrunk. Yeah. <laughs> shrunk. Honey, I shrunk the kids. <laughs> Um, cabinet makers outfitted these large cases with removable pins and wedges so they could be completely taken apart for transportation well, or to fit through doorways. Smart. That's amazing. It's like going up to the Hoboken uh, eighth floor. <laughs> right. But I mean, that's a nice piece. Could you imagine building it in a way that you could take it apart? Yeah. A lot going on. Yeah, uh, that's all. That's almost uh, in line with our uh, our coffee bar, our coffee shrunk. Yeah. Oh gosh, that that job's still not done. That's, it's sitting in the foyer still. Yeah, no, at that we still house. haven't even gotten final payment on that because I don't have the heart to ask for it. <laughs> so that wraps up our uh, origins of Pennsylvania Dutch furniture episode. Yeah. Wow. Interesting, interesting stuff. <clears throat> More going on with the Amish than I was expecting. Yeah, that's usually the case, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, we got a couple more things to to dive into with the the PA Dutch, but um, I think uh, in uh, series this is series uh, nine through or ten through thirteen. 14 on when we go into federal, we're going to start getting into furniture styles that people are a little bit more familiar with. Yeah. And maybe a little more, um, be less historical in nature as far as like the background. Um, 
There's only so much we could get get into with these. Because uh, it's so simple. Yeah. Um, but I mean, what do you? How do you think the? What kind of influences you think the their furniture made by these folks has on us or in general the people like us? Um, well, I don't know about us. I'd say furniture in general. I think the this sort of farmhouse look mm-hmm. definitely pulls from this simple Amish, you know, flat with the. I mean, I feel like in like the '90s, you saw a ton of that Amish style, very flat pine uh, furniture with the the uh, fretwork on mm-hmm. it and stuff, or maybe if, those big curves on yeah, the arms. Maybe fretwork isn't the right term, but yeah, those big uh, round curves and stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it definitely uh, was borrowed. Mm-hmm. We'll say I don't think they gave it. Credit as Amish, that, but yeah, that when people you say just think of it as house, like a country, country furniture, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that's a good point. That I would say that uh, the most recent uh, fad of country style furniture is a direct lift mm-hmm. from those early Amish pieces. Yeah. Um. What about um, their uh, not their aesthetic, but like their their ethics, their work ethics? You think any of that's bled through? Yeah, but it I you can't attribute it to them. I think specifically because really every furniture maker was preaching the same thing, right? You know, it, that's a that's a modern thing where where the idea of something being a temporary kind of piece came about. Right, with when have wealthy patrons, yeah. you know, you're not worried. You're more worried about selling them something again. Well, even you know, even you know, the Newport furniture makers who are making stuff for these mercantile class clients, they were building that stuff to last oh, two hundred yeah. years. Yeah. They just because those people were rich, they weren't you know making it to fall apart. Excellent point. Um, so I think you know that's been the goal. Forever, but you know, in the last let's say 150 years is when you saw a disposable um, mindset sort of coming into into play. Right. It's a it's a it's just a product of consumerism and and you know businesses trying to make more money because they need to you you can't sell furniture if people don't need to buy new <laughs> furniture like cars. You know why do you think they come out with a new car every year? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really good example. I remember when I was studying history, I took a class in 20th century American history, um, and it dealt with the advertising age and the auto, modern auto industry. It was fascinating because to read documents where you see the, the, the light bulb go on in somebody's head at like General Motors that said, hey, man, we, we're not going to make it if we just sell one car every 10 years. We got to yeah. sell people a car every three, four, five years. Yep. And we're going to base our whole model on that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, they they could make things that lasted. Yeah. And they could have done, been doing it for 60, 70 years. Look they at just the light chose bulb not in California to. that's been yes. going since 1909 or something. <clears throat> 
Everybody does it. Yeah. Light bulbs, cars, furniture. Phones, computers. Mm-hmm. Everything. Oh, yeah, the phones. Tools. I mean, don't get me started on that phone. Yeah. You know, Apple, they got sued successfully for uh, putting a shortened lifespan mm -hmm. on their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now they're getting hit with the right to repair. Yeah. So you'll be able to uh, repair your own phone. That's cool. Well, that's all we got for you this week, folks. Yeah, you, you probably got your fill of the Amish by now. Yeah, well, you, Either you that, buckle up. You got two more episodes. You're going to go looking for a shoe fly pie now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's coming up. Don't you worry. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> Calavera 10, save you 10% at Calavera Tools. Vesting. Uh, vesting finishes, 10% off. American Craftsman at rpmcodingsolutions.com. You know the Montana. American Craftsman, 10% off Montana. And uh, We're giving it away. Yeah. That's what it's all got. good stuff. Everybody take care. Hope you had a uh, good Thanksgiving. Yeah. And uh, Christmas is coming pretty soon. All right. We'll see you next week.